Welcome to Bible study tonight. So glad you're all here. Part four of our series entitled Living from the New Heart. God has invited us to live from the heart because he lives in the heart. He's made that heart perfect. Last week we talked about how he made our self perfect. Our new self is perfect. And tonight we're going to talk about the perfect storm. The perfect storm. We're going to talk about what happens when we sin. What happens when we fail. What's going on in our lives. What's happening on the inside when we as believers sin. When we fail. When we fall short. When, as James said, we struggle in various ways. What happens then? Um, what happens when we fail uh, a little? What happens when we fail a lot? What happens if we have a big failure as a believer? What goes on when we sin? And why do we still even do it if we've been perfected? So that's what we're talking about when we say the perfect storm. Uh, what happens when temptation comes and we give into it? And the battle happens. Uh, sinful thoughts and actions don't originate from within any part of who you are as a believer. When we as a believer are tempted to sin, all we need to do is count ourselves dead to sin and it's been my experience that the temptation often leaves when we count ourselves dead to it. If you just try to talk yourself out of it, you'll fail and succeed probably half the time. But if you can figure out how to count yourself dead to it, you can figure out how to convince yourself of the truth that you are dead to sin. It's not who you are anymore and it's not what you do. Then the odds of overcoming sin increase greatly. It's not our willpower that teaches us to say no to sin. What is it? Grace. The grace of God is what teaches us to say no. You see, the church has it backwards when they preach about grace. They only talk about the first function of grace, which is to save sinners, to save the most vile sinner. There's no sinner that he can't save by his grace. His grace is sufficient. His grace uh, can forgive every sin. And so sometimes we stop there at the first function of grace and then we bring in law or legalism or we bring in the opposite of that which is known as licentiousness or a license to sin because, hey, we have all the grace we need. God's grace is greater than our sin, so let's just get on to sinning and doing whatever we want to do because we're covered. Well, both responses are wrong. After you've been saved, you don't go to another law. And after you're saved, you don't get a license to sin. Grace performs a second function, which is as teacher to say no to sin. 
Titus 2.13, the grace of God has appeared, teaching us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and live an upright godly life in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the return of Jesus Christ. So grace has uh, two functions, to save and to forgive and to wash and to cleanse and also to teach the believer how to say no. So sinful thoughts and actions don't come from within you as a believer. We're going to discover tonight where they come from, but they don't come from within you. And when you are tempted to sin, when you have the sinful thought um, that leads to sinful action, uh, when you are tempted, you can learn to say no to that by the grace of God that saved you. So the question is, if we're so perfect, why do we still sin? Why? If we're so perfect, why do we still sin? Well, let's look at Romans chapter 7, verses 17 to 20, and we'll see if we can discover an answer here. Actually, let's go back to verse 13. So Romans 7, verse 13 has then what is good become death to me? Paul's talking about the law here. Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, through the law. So that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Okay, so here he's talking about sin's advantage in the law in the previous verses and where there is law, there is opportunity for sin. And before he knew the law, he didn't know what sin was, but then the law comes in and sin was awakened in him. Okay? And so that's why he's saying the law is good, but what is good did not become death to me. Sin is what produces death in me. Okay? The law is given so that sin might become exceedingly sinful. That's why we grew up saying all sin is sin. There's no such thing as, a, as small sins and big sins. Sin is sin. Uh, there's different categories of sin in the sense of some have more severe consequences on earth, like more severe earthly consequences than others, but all sin has the same spiritual consequence, whether it's a little white lie or whether it's uh, murder. Sin is sin. It has the same spiritual consequence, which is separation from God. And so the law comes in to show that sin is exceedingly sinful. Verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I want to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that's what I end up doing. If then I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law and that it is good. So he says, if I give in to temptation... I agree with the law because the law was given to show sin. And so he says that's a good thing. The law was given to make sin exceedingly sinful. Verse 17, but now, when? After he became a believer, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. We're going to talk about what does that mean? Sin dwells in me. Pastor Matt, for three weeks and for Five years you've been telling me that Jesus lives in me. That God lives in me by his spirit. What's Paul saying here? Sin living in me. 
Okay, we're going to figure it out. Uh, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me, verse 18, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, no good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I want to do, I do not do, but the evil I do not want to do, that I practice. Why do we still sin? Verse 18 gives us the clue. We're still stuck in the flesh. We're believers with new natures. We have a brand new self, brand new nature, brand new identity, brand new spirit, perfectly obedient to God from the heart, from the spirit, but we are still stuck in the flesh. Paul says in verse 24, O wretched man am I who will deliver me from this body, this flesh of death. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Look at this. So then he says in verse 25, With the mind I serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law or power of sin. Why do we still sin? The answer is simple. We're stuck in the flesh. The, the Greek word for flesh is the word sarks. The flesh is not the self, and the flesh is not your nature. The flesh is the pattern and pathways of worldly thinking and acting. That's what the flesh is. So yes, um, there is a sense in which your actual physical body can be considered your, your flesh. But here in this context, and whenever the Greek word sarks is used, it's to refer to worldly patterns and pathways. I say it this way, your old habits that die hard. That's what the flesh is, and we're still stuck in that. We're still stuck in this body of death. We still have our old ways of thinking and our old patterns of acting. When we get saved, we get saved from the inside out, not from the outside in. It works from our heart up to our head and out to our hands. It doesn't go the other way around. And so we have to be patient while we are being transformed. The beautiful thing is God is patient and he is lovingly and graciously working with us to transform us into the image of his son. Go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. So Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, Paul says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Look at verse 17. The flesh sarks your old patterns and pathways, your old worldly thinking and worldly acting. That is against the spirit, your innermost being, and the spirit against the flesh. And these things are contrary to one another. They're polar opposites. So that you do not do the things that you wish. 
This sounds a lot like what Paul was saying to the Romans back in Romans chapter 7. That's why we still sin. We're stuck in this body. We're stuck in this flesh. And in a few moments, when we get to the second page, we're going to talk about what's going on inside us when we sin. And Paul is alluding to it here. The flesh is against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. They are opposite, contrary to one another. And then look at verse 19. The works of the flesh are evident. They are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunken, uh, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice, not those who stumble and fall, but those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That word practice literally means practice in the Greek. It means to get better at. If you're doing these things and you want to get better at them, okay, then I can confidently say tonight that it's unlikely that you're going to inherit the kingdom of God. You're going to need to change your behavior, you're going to need to change your action by the, the Spirit in you. You're going to need to start obeying the grace of God that's teaching you to say no to this stuff. That doesn't mean you're not going to fall in some of these areas. Some of these are huge things. The point here is not if you, if you end up doing one of them that you're out immediately. The point is that if you make a practice, a practice, an intentional practice, not an ongoing struggle, but an intentional practice to do these things, then uh, as we talked about last week, I'm not sure that you actually got saved yet. Again, I'm not the final judge on that. I'm not the arbiter of who's in and out. That is God's job. But when I read this stuff, I'm, I'm not pointing a finger at you. I, I'm looking at me. I want to know for me. I want to know that I'm born again. I want to know that I'm saved. I want to know that I'm on my way to heaven. I want assurance. I want confidence. And I can know it. So I'm not, I'm not pointing this stuff out to point the finger at you. I'm pointing this out because I want to know it. And I know you do too. We're told in scripture to stop fixating on our failures. And to focus on our savior. Isn't that good? How often do we get fixated on our failures, on what we don't have, on how many times we've fallen short? And uh, every time we're fixated on our failures, we're not fixated on Jesus. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'd rather be fixated on him. Let's turn to uh, Philippians 3.13. But one thing I do, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things are ahead, which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. How far behind do those things have to be for you to forget them? Not very far. 
even like a moment after you fall short, after you stumble, after you fail, after you give in, even one moment after that, you need to call it what it is and keep pressing forward. Don't fixate on it. Don't pretend like it didn't happen. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying I just forget about it, it's no big deal. No, it's still a big deal. Remember, you're fully forgiven, past, present, and future. By one sacrifice, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So when you sin, don't fixate on it. Call it what it is, which is repentance, right? Saying the same thing about sin that God says. Metanoia, changing your mind. You gave into it because your mind convinced you that you wanted it. God says you don't want it, you don't need it because it's not who you are. When you give into it in a moment of weakness, say the same thing about it that God says and forget it. Keep moving forward, keep moving on. And then Hebrews chapter 12, too. Again, talking about not fixating on our past. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Let us run the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, looking to him, not to our past, not to our failures, not to our shortcomings, but looking to Jesus. He's the author and perfecter, the author and finisher of our faith. Verse 1 says that there is going to be many snares along the way. But lay aside every weight, avoid every snare, and look to Jesus. If you get your eyes off him, you're bound to fall. But you look on him, you look at him, and you're bound to succeed because Jesus finishes what he starts. Believers walk in the Spirit and focus on Jesus while depending on him for everything they need. This walk is a reliance walk. We're relying not on our own strength, but on the strength of Jesus. So that's why we still sin. We're stuck in the flesh. But we can set our mind on the things above. What happens when we fail? What actually is going on there? Is it our old nature coming back to life? Is it our old nature coming back to haunt us? No. When believers fail, Satan is close behind with an accusation. Of course you sinned. You're a sinner. Of course you failed. You're a failure. Of course you did this. Of course you did that. When believers fail, Satan comes with an accusation and legalists show up with a warning. Don't fail too much more or you'll lose your salvation. Both are wrong. For those of us who are under grace, there is no condemnation. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. The sin's already been judged. We're going to talk about this on Sunday a little bit. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn it. It was already condemned. 
He came to save it, to rescue it. You were one of the people he rescued. You're saved. You're in him. There's no longer any condemnation. What he did on the cross worked. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That actually worked. So we're under grace now. There's no condemnation. There's no accusation. Jesus said that he uh, wouldn't remember our sins against us ever again. If your sins are being brought up, it's not Jesus doing it. It's Satan. Or it's a Pharisee. It's an uptight legalist who's trying to keep some type of religious standard rather than rely on Jesus. The voice of the comforter, the voice of the counselor, the voice of the guide, the spirit that lives in you, says you sinned, but that's out of character for you. So like me, you've all sinned and fallen short. You've all stumbled in many ways. And as soon as you do, there's a conviction that comes in. That's a good thing. You want that. You don't want when you sin for there to be for there to be no conviction. That means your conscience is seared. But that conviction comes in. It's not an accusation. It's, it's literally the Spirit telling us that's out of character for you. That's not who you are anymore. You used to be, but you're not that anymore. If you listen to that voice, you will be comforted, even though you don't deserve to be. You'll be counseled and guided, even though you don't deserve to be, because God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. But he is gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That's who he is. We deserve to sin once and be done away with. That's how holy and righteous God is. But he's also love and patience and kindness and grace and he makes a way for us. He counsels us. And if we listen to his voice, he will direct us away from sin and direct us toward who we really are and what we really want to do. Remember Paul talking there in Romans 7? That what I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I do. So what's going on inside of us when we sin? The Bible tells us that we're made up of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. We are very much familiar with the body and the soul. I mean, we are constantly fussing over our body all day, every day. Uh, feeding it, clothing it, washing it, exercising it, any number of things, fighting with it, fighting with pain. You know, we are very much aware of our bodies and we're very much aware of our soul, our emotions our will, our intentions. Um, but what about the spirit? The spirit is a little less tangible. We don't interact with it a whole lot, or we don't interact with it in the same way that we interact with our body and our soul. And the difficult thing is when you read through the New Testament, it doesn't always distinguish between the two. Especially when you read like the English translation, a lot of times um, the word for body, or sorry, the word for soul and spirit 
are interchanged, and so it can lead to some confusion. That's why you, you have to at least know how to search uh, the Greek lexicon online to figure out what word is being used for spirit and soul here. The Greek word for human spirit is the word pneuma. The Greek word for soul is the Greek word psyche. And so that's where we get the word psychology and uh, psychiatry. It has to do with our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions, our uh, mental uh, health. But the pneuma is different. The pneuma is the centermost part of who you are. In fact, uh, when the Holy Spirit is referenced in the New Testament, the word pneuma is also used with a capital P. The Holy Spirit of God is the centermost part of his being, the centermost person of his being. The human spirit is certainly not the same as the Holy Spirit. Before you were saved, your human spirit was dead to God and alive to sin. But now that you're saved, the opposite is true. You're dead to sin and alive to righteousness because Christ dwells in the human spirit. John 14, 23, Jesus talks about being the vine and the branches, and we abide in him, and he abides in us. And then uh, let's look at 1 Corinthians 6, 16 and 17. Does somebody have that? Let's see if I can beat you there. Got it. 1 Corinthians 6, 16 to 17. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Your innermost being is with God and God with you. Christ dwells within the human spirit. There's not a battle going on in our spirit. That's settled. It's perfect. But there is a battle going on at the gateway of our soul. We talked about that in Romans 7, 17 and 20. That which I want to do, I will to do, I do not do. That which I don't want to do, I end up doing. That's the battle that's going on inside of us. Because we're still in the sarks, the flesh. There's this parasitic power called sin that wants to enslave us and take control of us. Remember I said we were going to talk about it? Um, Paul said, the sin that dwells within me, but it dwells in his flesh, not in his spirit. Uh, this, the power of sin is all around us. It's a parasite that latches onto us and, and infects us and gets into us when we present ourselves to it, to be obedient to it. It wants to enslave us. It wants to take control of us. It wants to destroy us. Our daily decision is whether or not we will let sin reign in our mortal bodies or whether we will present ourselves to righteousness to become slaves to it. That's the battle that's going on inside of us, not between your old nature and your new nature, but between 
your spirit and your soul and the power of sin that rages all around. And then let's conclude. Death to sin and victory over its power. As believers, our death to sin is not progressive. It's over. We died. We are 100% dead to sin. And we are 100% raised to newness of life. This is a victorious life. It is also complete in Christ. We don't complete it. He completes it in us as we dwell uh, and walk according to the Spirit and as He dwells within our spirit. This new life gets worked out of us progressively, though. There is a progression. There is a process. This new life that we have in our innermost being gets worked out of us progressively as we form new patterns and pathways in our soul and flesh that conform to the image of Christ. And so as born-again followers of Christ, we are now, in a sense, allergic to sin. We hate it. It gives us a bad reaction every time we do it. And eventually, we'll learn to better avoid the things that we are allergic to. One day, one day rather, uh, there will be no sin and no curse. Until then, His grace is sufficient, His power made perfect in our weakness. Music